snoring. But I don't want to hear any snoring. So good to see you. And James Rogers, it's been a good while since I've seen James. and We've been together in meetings before, and he knows everything I know. But the Gus Nichols said, I only have 15 sermons. But he said, I put a different hat and a different coat on them as I use them. And I don't have that many, and I've never learned to dress them up. So you've already heard what I have to say. And I was rather mean to you this morning. But let me ask you a question this afternoon. Do you know that you are saved? And you think about it. If a person does not know that he is saved, then it would appear to me that one of two things is wrong. Either his faith is weak, or his life is faulty. And one of these, of course, would affect the other. Well, someone said, preacher, can we know that we are saved? Oh, that text read a moment ago. First John 5, verse 13. John said, These things write out unto you that you may know that you have eternal life, even to you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Oh, indeed, we can know that we're saved. Now, we must understand the gospel, of course. That familiar passage in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is revealed a righteousness of God from faith unto faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now you're aware that Paul enlarges on that statement in the next three or four chapters in the book of Romans. So we find him saying in Romans chapter 3 verse 20, For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. For through the law cometh the knowledge of sin. But now apart from the law hath a righteousness of God been manifested, even the righteousness of God which is according to faith in Jesus Christ unto all them that believe. And there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to show his righteousness because of the passing over of the sins done aforetime in the forbearance of God. And for the sowing, I say, of his righteousness at this present season, that he may himself be just and the justifier of him that hath faith in Jesus. Where then is the glorying? It is excluded. But not of law of works, nay, but by law of faith. We reckon, therefore, that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, through verse 28. Did you notice what was said? Apart from the law hath a righteousness of God been manifested. Uh, that's the righteousness of God, which is according to faith in Jesus Christ, but it's only to those who believe, whether it's you or a Greek. Makes no difference. Oh, and the Lord sent forth his Son to be propitiation. That word propitiation means satisfaction. He came to satisfy the demands of justice. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, and I'm the sinner, right? But I can't redeem my soul by giving my life. That's correct. Well, that's why Jesus came, to make satisfaction for the demands of justice, pay the penalty that was demanded. He died in my stead. Oh, and God did this that he may himself be just and the justifier of him that hath faith in Jesus. An interesting thought. But it also says that he sent his son uh, to show his righteousness because of the passing over of the sins done aforetime in the forbearance of God. That's interesting. You know, 
Under law, there is no forgiveness, and you are familiar with that. We just noted it, verse 20, chapter 3, book of Romans, Galatians 2, verse 16. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And you drop the article. For by works of law, any law, law is not given to justify. Law is given to condemn the infraction of its content. And I could demonstrate that. But I think we understand uh, that principle. Under law, there's no forgiveness. Well, someone says, yeah, but now, there were faithful Jews who lived under the law, and for them the high priest went into the most holy place once in the year, bearing the blood of animals to make atonement for himself and for the people. Oh, that's right. That's right. And the Hebrew writer explains, you remember, chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, that their sins were remembered year by year. Well, why so? Impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Hebrews 10, 4. Well, those faithful people under the law, those who, who lived according to the Lord's instruction, when were their sins forgiven? Well, Hebrews 9, verse 15, speaking of Christ, says, uh, He is the mediator of a better covenant, uh, that a death having taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, they that have been called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance from the son of Adam until the end of time. The only remedy for sin is the blood of Christ. Without shedding of blood is no remission, Hebrews 9.22. Impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So we're dealing with the shed blood of the Son of God. So then, I must understand this good news of human redemption, this, this gospel. And occasionally, someone will ask, well, just uh, specifically, what is the gospel? Good news, uh, glad tidings. We understand that. John 3.16 would suffice, would it not? For God so loved the world. That's you and me, sinners. And the depth of meaning and the little adverb of manner, S-O, has never been fathomed. I believe it with all my heart, but I can't verbalize it. I can't describe it. God so loved a reprobate such as I, a sinner, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's love beyond my understanding. That's good news. That's, oh, but Paul's more specific. In his definition of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, he said, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you received, wherein you stand by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory the things which I preached unto you, except you believed in vain, for I made known unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, how that he was buried, how that he was raised the third day according to the Scripture. The death, burial, and resurrection of the pure, guiltless, innocent, sinless Son of God. Good news. Gospel. The means of my salvation. And then the question arises, but why did Christ have to die? I, well, we see him with been made a little lower than the angels, even Jesus. Well, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he should taste of death for James William Watkins, Jr., that's me. The passage is Hebrews 2 at verse 9. Someone said, Preacher, that's sacrilege. Your name doesn't appear in this. Read it. Read it. Taste of death for every man. Look at me. Homo sapien. Adam. Man. Don't you spread the death of Christ too thin like most people do. Yeah, well, Christ died for everybody. Christ died for me. If I'd been the only sinner upon this earth, Jesus Christ would have given up 
the beauty, the grandeur, the perfection of heaven, equality with the Father, come to the shore, took upon himself flesh and blood, and die the horrible death of crucifixion to redeem my soul. That's exactly what he did. He died for me. He tells me that my soul is worth more than this entire world. All of its wealth multiplied by infinity. I shall live forever. All of this will burn up. Second Peter chapter 3 at verse 10. Say, it's a personal matter. Christ died for me. Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians 5 verse 21. And you remember that beautiful passage in Isaiah 53. Lord, who hath believed our message? To whom hath the arm of Jehovah been revealed? He grew up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Or we like sheep have gone astray. And Jehovah hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verses 1 through 6 of Isaiah chapter 53 who his own self bare our sins in his body on the tree, that we having died unto sin might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. First Peter chapter 2 at verse 24. Are you familiar with Paul's instruction to the church at Corinth relative to their disposition of the incestuous adulterer? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you remember a fellow had his father's wife, probably his stepmother, a condition not condoned even by the heathen. Paul is teaching the church about the exercise of a discipline called the withdrawal of fellowship. It is always done in love. It's always done for the good of the person being exercised thereby. No question about that. This fellow has been talked to. He's been prayed for. He knows his sin, and it is public in nature. Yet he has not repented. Now, if you go along like a lot of churches would today and say, oh, I'll let it take care of itself, you're guilty. You're as guilty as the man. Say, you are accepting, condoning the sin of a work. Over. He said in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Purge out the old leaven, that you may become a new lump. Even as you are unleavened, for our Passover hath been sacrificed, even Jesus. You what? Remove the sin from your midst. You can't condone sin without contaminating the entire congregation. Purge out the old leaven that you may become a new lump, even as you are unleavened. Then he said this, For our Passover hath been sacrificed, and he named him, even Jesus. What is he saying? Are you familiar with the fact that the Old Testament is a system of types, prophecies, shadows, of which Christ is the antitype, the fulfillment, and, of course, the substance. We're familiar with that. That's the purpose of the Old Testament. Lead us to Christ. Paul's explanation, Galatians chapter 3. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 12. And you recall Israel is in bondage in Egypt. God has struck the land of Egypt nine times with terrible plagues. I mean, he has literally devastated the land. Oh, Pharaoh's heart hardened. He doesn't intend to let Israel go. 
God said, one plague more and he'll cast you out with a mighty arm. But chapter 12, God said to Moses, this will be the beginning of months unto you. In the tenth day of this first month, uh, have the head of each house, take a lamb, eight days to a year old, a male without blemish, and put him up. If on the fourteenth day of this first month, slay that lamb. Now, if it be too much to be consumed by that family in a single night, call on the next door neighbor. Must be eaten in the night in which it's slain, and that which abides the daylight will be burned without the camp. Now, he said, when you slay that lamb on the fourteenth day of this first month, take a bunch of hyssop, vegetation, dip it in the blood, and sprinkle it on the lintels and on the doorposts of the houses where you are. Or in verses 23, 22 and 23, he said, stay in that house. He said, I'm coming through the land, and the firstborn of man and beast in every house will die, and there are no exceptions. Egyptian, Hebrew, throughout the land of Egypt, the firstborn of man and beast will die. But he said, when I see the blood on the houses where you are, I'll not permit the avenger to enter in to your house. <clears throat> he said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. What did you say, Paul? He said, our Passover hath been sacrificed, even Jesus. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. You are aware that the church is the house of God. At 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul said in verse 14, These things write out unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry, that thou mayest know how men ought to behave themselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. You certainly are aware of the fact that Christ is the door. He said so, John chapter 10, verse 9. Well, then you understand that the blood is on the door, Acts 20, verse 28. Then you should know there's safety inside, and death lurks outside. Now, it's an interesting thing back there, Exodus chapter 12. At midnight a cry arose in every house in Egypt. The firstborn of man and beast was dead. Not a single Israelite perished. Why? Well, somebody says, these are righteous people. I mean, they're righteous. They had to get rid of their idol gods after they got into the wilderness. Oh, yeah, they knew a little bit about God. They didn't have a lot of confidence in Moses, but they... No, no, no. Not an Israelite perished that night because they were in the house where the blood was on the lintels and on the doorposts. Our Passover hath been sacrificed, even Jesus. Right. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? I remember that John said, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Those things write unto thee that you may not sin. And if any man sin, and we do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. Well, not for ours only, but for the whole world. That's why he died. Uh, but most men, of course, reject it. And as the Lord said, most men are lost. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. But John's talking to you and me. Wait, wait a minute. What, what did you... John said these things right on to you. A preventive. Uh, say to this word. Read it regularly. Seek to apply. Yeah, make mistakes. And if any man sin, why, sure you make mistakes. Oh, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation, satisfaction for our sin. Wait, wait, wait. Advocate? What does an advocate do? Oh, pleads the cause of another. Uh, Jesus Christ is our arbiter. Uh, he stands between alienated parties. God 
and sinful man alienated from his maker. Or he stands in the divine presence to plead the merits of my righteousness, <laughs> that would be filthy rags. He stands in the presence of God to plead the merit of his shed blood on behalf of a sinner such as I at work. God will accept that. Absolutely. Without shedding of blood, no remission. No remission. Did you recall 1 John 1 verse 7? And John said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, or somebody says, now perfectly, if you could do it perfectly, we wouldn't need him. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Yeah, you remember that. Psalms 119 verse 105. So if we read this book on a regular basis, seek to apply it, Christianity is a matter of maturation, growth, continually becoming more and more like Jesus Christ as we apply these principles. So let's understand what John's saying. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and listen to this. This is not punctilier. This is not a one-shot proposition. The language here is linear, continuous. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son keeps on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. You see, that's the only way a sinner such as I can stand in a right relationship with God. Continuous process. Oh, someone says, now, preacher, I, I mean, you know, I, I know where you're coming from, but I'm, I'm not through. I'm not through. There is therefore now. There is therefore now. There is therefore right now. Romans 8, verse 1. No condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And the King James adds, who walk not after the flesh, but out of the Spirit. And you read that in the latter portion of verse 4 in the American Standard. Oh, wait, 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 wait. What did that say? Listen to it. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Walk in the light. Govern your life by thus saith the Lord. Oh, perfect. <laughs> no, we're highly imperfect. Make a lot of mistakes. Oh, but you're in the house where the blood's on the what did you say? There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and its consequences, or well, the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. Oh, I don't worry about that. No, no. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and of death. Then he refers to the Old Testament. He says, for what the law could not do, being weak through the flesh, God... Wait, wait, wait. What? What the law of Moses is referring to, what the law could not do, being weak through the flesh, that is, since man couldn't keep it perfectly, God accomplished. What was it we said about law? Well, law is given to condemn the infraction of its content. Right. Make a mistake on the law, you're dead. Yes, sir. Oh, no question about it. See, law can't forgive. No, no. Law just condemns the infraction. Uh, you understand that? Too long a highway on a hot summer day. I mean, got the air conditioner to go. Maybe the radio on if you like that, you know. Well, everything's perfect. Beautiful. And all of a sudden, a blue light special in the rearview mirror. Womp, 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 and off you go. <laughs> a tall, broad-shouldered, good-looking fellow with a campaign hat on comes up beside your one day and he says, Sir, may I see your license? <laughs> yes, sir. And you, you dig in there and hand them to him and uh, he goes around behind the car. I, I don't know what he does when he's back there. 
but I know what he does when he comes back up front. Pulls out that little yellow book, licks that pencil, and starts writing. Hey, officer, I have a busy schedule. I can't go to the game. I don't need a ticket. Oh, he says your schedule may change. I'd just be glad to give you a ticket anyway. Yeah. What's the problem here? A sign you passed back there said 70 MPH. Now, MPH are initials. They have to do with the velocity of that bomb you've been chauffeuring along the highway. The law says 70, you were doing 85. Now, let me tell you something about law. There's not one in heaven. There's not one on earth. There is no law extent that can make you innocent. You're guilty. Pay the penalty. Yeah, but somebody says, I don't know somebody can give you pay a bigger penalty. Pay it. That's law. That's what law is given for. That's what law does. It condemns the infraction of its content. Back to Romans 8, verse 3. For what the law could not do, since man couldn't keep it perfectly, God accomplished. God, in sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, now listen, condemned the flesh because of sin? No. That's what the law did. No. What the law could not do, being weak through the flesh, God, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in flesh. Oh, Christ came and, and condemned sin in the flesh. Right. You know, if you needed further assurance of that, you could drop down to verse 31, right there in Romans chapter 8. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? The answer to that, who cares? Well, if God is for us, I don't make a difference who's against you. It's going to lose. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not he also with him freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It's Jesus Christ who died, buried, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, anguish, nakedness, famine, pearl, sword, even as it is written, for thy sake we killed all the day long. We were accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Through the end of the chapter, verse 39. You either believe it or you don't. Either believe it or not. Oh, need to give that consideration. Yes, sir. There's security in Christ. Well, let's notice it again. John chapter 10, you remember verses 27 and 28. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, that is, I approve of them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish, and no man shall snatch them out of my hand. Ah, oh, that's a sureness. Somebody says, Preacher, you're preaching once saved, always saved. What was that Greek term? Hogwash. For as touching those who were once enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, made partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then fall away, it is impossible to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified themselves afresh the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. Sound like once saved, always saved? For if after they have escaped the defilement that's in the world, uh, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the second state is worse for them than the beginning. But for them not to have known the way of righteousness, than after having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered. It's happened unto them after the true proverb. The sire that was washed returns to wallowing in the mire, the dog turning again to his own vomit. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. Does that sound like one saved always say? 
Friend, any time you want to, you are an immortal soul made in the image and the likeness of God, thus possessed of free moral agency. That's why there were two trees in the garden. Any time you want to, you can turn your back on the Lord. And you won't have to wait a judgment to be condemned. You're condemned right then. But I don't care where you've been. I don't care how low into the muck and mire of immorality, sin, ungodliness you may have sunk. If you'll turn your heart around and focus your attention upon him who died to redeem your soul and give your life in humble obedience to his will, ah, you'll be saved. There's no way you can't be too bad for God to save you. That's why he sent his son. That's what salvation is all about. Oh, but in Christ, that's where the security is found. Why, certainly, no question about that. Get over Hebrews chapter 2. Well, let's just finish that on John 10, 27. Well, let's notice it again. My sheep here, John Knox, John Calvin, John Smythe, John... Da, 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 oh, no, 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 no. He said, my sheep here, my voice. Oh, and he said, I know them. And they follow the manual, the discipline, the catechism, the confession, the faith, the book of Mormon, the Koran, the ideas and opinions of a son at a council, a conference, an association, or a convention. What? He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and there's not enough power in hell to destroy one of them. That's what he said. I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. And he's saying, there's all enough imps under the supervision of the devil himself to snatch a single one of them out of my hand. The father that gave them to me is greater than he who would take them away. There's security in Christ. Well, what about that statement? Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since then the children are sharers in flesh and blood, he also himself partook of the same, that through death he might bring to naught him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver all them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Friends, death is the most feared nemesis of this whole world. Not to the child of God. That's the beginning. That's where it starts. Uh, that's what redemption is all about. A Paul said for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. In Philippians 1, verse 21. Oh, you know, it's amazing how we view life, isn't it? Sometimes we read... Oh, that statement, Romans chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus said, Fear not him who can destroy the body. After that, hath no more that he can do. Rather fear him who can destroy body and soul in hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Now, Lord, are you saying that I shouldn't be cautious about my will? No, sir. Are you saying I should not be alert and be? No, sir. Paul's let down with a ball and a basket. In Damascus, he escaped old Artemis. Uh, he fled from one city to another. Oh, but when the chips are down. I mean, when he gets right down to where the woman missed the road, <laughs> I'm going to lose my life anyway. By the whole world, everything going my way. Uh, nothing. It's appointed on a man wants to die. Hebrews 9.27. Don't have to belabor that. Stroll through the cemetery completely adequate. No, no. Never mind the epitaphs. They may be false. They may be true. But uh, look at the dates. The old must die. The young do die. It's the latter part of that 27th verse. Appointed on a man wants to die after this, the judgment. Basis for that judgment, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my sayings. Hath one that judgeth him, the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. John 12, verse 48, Jesus speaking. Well, one other verse. You ever wonder why the Apostle Paul would quote the second verse of the 32nd Psalm in Romans chapter 4, verse 8? Well, this is New Testament. Now listen. 
Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute iniquity. Someone says, Preacher, you mean to tell me there's somebody on this earth to whom the Lord won't reckon sin? There isn't, there won't be anybody in heaven. No sin will enter heaven. <clears throat> well, someone says, Preacher, who is the person to whom the Lord won't reckon sin? When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Those who are faithful in the house of the Lord. Perfect? No. Oh, the word perfect is used in the New Testament, but never in the sense of sinlessness. No, the word perfect is used in the New Testament only in the sense of wholeness. We're whole before the Lord in the body of Christ. That's the only way sinners can be saved. In the house where the blood's on the door, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute iniquity. Not an Israelite died that night. Remain faithful to the Lord. Read this book regularly. Seek to put it in. Oh, sure, some advance much more rapidly than others. Oh, some comprehend a whole lot better than others. We don't all do the same thing. We don't even all come from the same background. We don't know the same people. We don't engage in the same kind of work. We're, but we've got a common fellowship and a common goal. We're the children of God. Read this book every day. Seek to put it into practice. You'll grow. Become more like Christ. Oh, but in the meantime, with all of your flaws and shortcomings, you're in the house where the blood's on the door. Friend, if you're subject to the Master's invitation tonight, it's very simple. Faith in Christ is necessary, except you believe that I am He will die in your sins. John 8, 24. Except you repent, you will perish. Luke 13, 3. Simple process. No, not easy. Not easy. Focus. Commitment. Who am I? Where am I going? How long will I be here? Hey, only the Lord can save my soul. Then I believe that he is indeed the Son of God, and following his instruction, I'm going to be buried with him in baptism, at which point the old body of sin is done away. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Oh, you're raised a new creature in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. What are you talking about? The old body of sin is done away. He adds the saved to the church, Acts 2, 4 to 7. Well, that's the house of God, at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Oh, the blood's on the door. Right, that's safety. If you're subject to his invitation, why not come, even now, while together we stand and sing.